Hello and welcome back to the fall of the Roman Empire. My name is Nick Holmes and this is episode 16 called Man of Steel. In the last episode, we discussed the transformation of the Roman army back into the effective fighting force that it once was. We've also covered the reign of Claudius Gothicus, who was the first of the soldier emperors or the barracks emperors, as historians sometimes call them. And that means those professional soldiers who'd risen from the ranks to become emperor without having the aristocratic connections that had once been essential to do this. Claudius Gothicus was the first of these, and we'll now move on to the next one, the great Aurelian, who came to be called the Restorer of the World. And let me begin by reading a short extract from Edward Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, describing Aurelian's humble origins and his meteoric rise to power in the Roman army. Quote, the father of Aurelian was a peasant of the territory of Sirmium, who occupied but a small farm. His warlike son enlisted in the troops as a common soldier and successively rose to the rank of a centurion, then a tribune, then the prefect of a legion, then the inspector of the camp, the general, or as it was then called, the duke of a frontier, and at length during the Gothic War exercised the important office of commander-in-chief of the cavalry. In every role he distinguished himself by matchless valour, rigid discipline and successful conduct. On the recommendation of the Emperor Valerian, a senator of the highest rank and merit called Ulpius Crinitus, who was descended from the Emperor Trajan, adopted Valerian, gave him his daughter in marriage and a fortune to match. End quote. Now, let's turn to the story of Aurelian's restoration of the Roman Empire, which I think is one of the most exciting parts of all Roman history. Aurelian was cast in the same mould as Claudius Gothicus, called manu ad ferum in Latin, literally hand on sword, but probably better translated into English as man of steel. He too was of humble origin, a barracks emperor born yet again in the land south of the Danube, which the Romans called Illyria. Tall and strong, he had excelled as a cavalry officer. Like Claudius, he had led the new Roman cavalry units. He had been Claudius's right-hand man in his victories against the Goths and Alemanni. Also, like Claudius, Aurelian was a staunch conservative, and although it was revolutionary for a man like him to be emperor, he yearned for a return to the traditional values of the Roman Empire. His coins depict a man with a close-cropped hair and short beard of a soldier and an expression of grim determination. Aurelian's first task was to exterminate a rival. Despite his being the obvious candidate to assume the purple, Claudius's own brother Quintilus, a weak-willed man and supremely unfit to be emperor, was nevertheless proclaimed emperor by the Senate. Quite what the Senate thought it was doing remains a mystery, but the senators may have been intimidated by Quintilus's close proximity to Rome with an army, together with their own apprehensions about 
Aurelian, given his reputation as a stern military disciplinarian. However, Quintilus's reign was quickly over. Within two months, his own troops murdered him and joined Aurelian's advancing Danubian legions as they rounded the top of the Adriatic and moved into Italy. The Senate quickly changed sides and sent a deputation to meet Aurelian at Ravenna, reassuring him of its lifelong loyalty. If Aurelian was shocked by the Senate's duplicity, this now paled into insignificance compared with the news that reached Aurelian's camp of a new barbarian invasion that had crossed the Danube. These invaders were Asding Vandals, who, as had happened so many times before in the troubled 3rd century, saw an opportunity to invade when the Danubian legions marched from their frontier posts into Italy to secure the purple for Aurelian. Crossing the northern Danube not far from Aquincum, which is modern Budapest, they proceeded to pillage and plunder. Aurelian had no time to go to Rome to have the Senate formally approve him. Instead, the army proclaimed him consul, which was the equivalent of emperor, on New Year's Day, AD 271. Then, straight away, he headed north to meet the Vandals. The Vandals played cat and mouse with his troops, unwilling to risk a full-scale battle with the Romans, whose military prowess was starting to regain some of its old prestige. After Aurelian had won a few skirmishes with them, the Vandals agreed to leave Roman territory and to hand back some of the prisoners they had taken. However, this minor achievement was quickly obscured by news of a much more serious invasion, this time by a huge force of Germanic Jutungi, who had crossed the Danube further north than the Vandals and were heading straight for Italy. Aurelian had to lead his army, already tired from fighting the Vandals, in forced marches back into northern Italy. The Jatungi posed a much more serious threat than the Vandals. They were far more numerous and their intent was to strike into the heart of the empire. They reached the city of Placentia, modern Piacenza, south of Milan and subjected it to a horrific sack. In desperation, Aurelian rushed his troops into what turned out to be a clever ambush by the Jutungi. Taking heavy losses, this was one of the very few setbacks in Aurelian's impeccable military career. The Jutungi brushed past the Roman army and set off down the Via Emilia to sack Rome itself. In Rome, there was panic. There had been no invasion of Italy like this since the Alemanni had reached the outskirts of Rome in Gallienus's reign 11 years earlier. But Aurelian was in hot pursuit. Incensed by his earlier defeat, he didn't repeat his previous mistake of walking into a trap. Using his cavalry to scout out the enemy positions, he caught the Jutungi camping by the river Maturus. He launched a surprise attack, and pinning the Germans against the river, he forced many of them into the river where they drowned. The Jutungi were so shocked by the ferocity of the Roman attack that they negotiated for peace and agreed to leave Italy. 
but Aurelian was in no mood to take prisoners. He refused to give them free passage, and as they retreated northwards, he pursued them until, when they were crossing the plains near Ticinum, which is modern Pavia, he was able to let loose his excellent cavalry. The Jatungi were cut to pieces. Very few survived. Aurelian had all but exterminated a German tribe. It was one of his greatest victories. The grateful Senate immediately hailed him as Germanicus Maximus. He vowed that he would keep the great city of Rome safe with the construction of a massive set of walls around the city. The majority of these still stand today and are one of the most striking monuments of ancient Rome. But in their day, they marked a poignant turning point. For even the eternal city of Rome now needed walls to keep out the barbarians. The days of the Pax Romana must have seemed like a long-forgotten dream. Nevertheless, the Romans had regained the military initiative. Aurelian and the barracks emperors were now winning. However, the citizens of Rome did little to help, for when Aurelian arrived in the city, there was a revolt staged by the mint workers. They had been defrauding the Roman government by debasing the new coinage for their own benefit, just at the time when Aurelian most needed money to pay for the exceptionally heavy costs of the army. As described in a previous episode, debasing the coinage had become the accepted way of funding the government's fiscal deficit during the 3rd century, ever since Septimius Severus's reign, with disastrous consequences for the economy. However, in this instance, the mint workers in Rome had found that by debasing it even further than they were instructed to do, they could keep the difference and make a handsome profit for themselves. This corruption went right to the top with several senators implicated, including the chief finance minister, Philosemus. When Aurelian tried to arrest the ringleaders, there was a revolt. The atmosphere in Rome was fragile, partly because of heightened anxiety about the threat of German invasion, but also because the recent Palmyran conquest of Egypt had deprived Rome of its vitally important grain supply. The Roman mob could easily be whipped up into a frenzy on pretty much any excuse, and taking advantage of this, the corrupt senators incited it to take to the streets in protest against Aurelian. A full-scale riot got out of hand on the Celian Hill between the rioters and Aurelian's soldiers. Records indicate that up to 7,000 civilians were killed. Order was restored by Aurelian's legionaries. Not surprisingly, though, Aurelian felt deeply insulted by this outrage, especially when he had just saved the city from the Jatungi. He closed down the Roman mint and executed the ringleaders of the riot including several senators. Although Aurelian was a traditionalist who regarded Rome as the centre of civilization, he could not forgive the Roman citizens for their callous treachery. 
Disillusioned with Rome, Aurelian spent little time in the city before setting out again, this time for the Danube front, where the Goths had yet again crossed the river and were pillaging Thrace and Moesia. Although Claudius Gothicus, ably assisted by his subordinate Aurelian at that point, had won a decisive victory over them at the Battle of Nasus in 269, the Goths were still a major threat to Roman control of the Balkans, and they had crossed the Danube the moment Aurelian had taken his forces from the Danube into Italy to fight the Jutungi. By the autumn of 271, Aurelian was back in Thrace. He confronted the Goths and forced them back over the Danube, but he was keen to put a stop to the Gothic invasions that had become a constant drain on Roman resources. So he led his army over the Danube and carried the war into Gothic territory. There the Goths chose to meet him in a huge battle. We have almost no details of exactly what happened, with the surviving sources simply saying that Aurelian won a resounding victory in which the main Gothic king, Canabordes, was killed and the Gothic forces fled. The Romans then laid waste to the Gothic homeland north of the Danube, sacking their settlements and taking large numbers of prisoners, including Gothic women whose fighting abilities so impressed the Romans that two years later some of them were paraded dressed as the legendary Amazons in Aurelian's triumphal procession in AD 274. With the Goths decisively defeated in 271, Aurelian started to mass his army in Thrace, ready to embark on his next major campaign, which this time would be against Palmyra. Aurelian regarded Palmyra as a tougher nut to crack than the Goths, and he wanted to field as many troops as possible against them. So he took a major strategic decision to evacuate Dacia, the province which the Emperor Trajan had created north of the Danube nearly 160 years before. It was a bold move since it could be seen as an admission of failure. But by evacuating Dacia, he greatly reduced the length of the Roman frontier and freed up a large contingent of legionaries who would otherwise have had to garrison the province. He also evacuated a sizable proportion of the Roman citizens living in Dacia and resettled them south of the river in the newly created province of Dacia Repensis. Aurelian also wanted to strengthen his cavalry so that they could be the strike force of his army. To do this, he added Mauritanian cavalry from North Africa to his crack regiment of cavalry, the Dalmatian horse. He also took the best legionary vexillations, as the units below the size of a legion were called, from the legions stationed along the Danube and in northern Italy. Aurelian was now ready for his greatest campaign of all. In April 272, he led his army across the Bosphorus. The battle for the east was about to begin. (laughs) 
And that ends this episode. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed it. And as usual, if you did, I'd be really grateful if you wanted to subscribe, tell a friend or best of all, to leave a review. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much. And in the next episode, we'll continue with the story of Aurelian's restoration of the empire. Thanks for listening and see you next time. <laughs>